When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon, Panther fans. and Welcome to another special edition of the Four Man Rush. I'm your main man, Kevin Avery, a.k.a. 4MR underscore Country Kev. We're bringing back a longtime uh, good friend of the show uh, with us. Uh, former Carolina Panther, uh, all pro and pro bowl guard, Mike Wall, um, reached out to him. Definitely, uh, wanted him to, you know, provide us his info and insight, uh, particularly about the Panthers, uh, with this post free agency, post draft time frame that we now in. Um, so pretty much it's going to be all about the, the trenches on this show, talking about the, uh, Carolina Panthers offensive line and defensive line. Um, so definitely glad he made time out of his busy schedule to, uh, join us here. Uh, Mike, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kev, man. Always always a pleasure being on the show, talking ball with you. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so as those who've been following along, um, you know, you do your thing with process to perform, but for those who maybe watch for the first time, um, how about share with us what uh, process to perform is all about and also giving um, fans about what else you got going on and uh, other avenues um, that you're um, into. Sure. So I, I work with player. I work with players. I'm a player development guy. Uh, I was a skill development specialist in the NFL when I got out of the league uh, after done playing. Came back in. Uh, was the first NFL's uh, NFL's first skill development specialist. I, I kind of parlayed that into working with professional athletes and then kind of started moving down the chain as far as aspiring athletes. So anywhere from you know really 12 and up. If if you're trying to become elite and try to understand the behaviors that that drive. You to find your best and find your ceiling. That's what process to perform is all about. You can check that out at process to perform.com. And then I do a bunch of different media. One of the things that we uh, are really into now is just obviously some Packer stuff. I was a Green Bay Packer for seven years. So we do the On My Block podcast with Amon Green uh, on our, our YouTube channel, Process to Perform. You can also check out Block Party, where I do a ton of work on, on you know, the trenches. We did a bunch of previews and things for the draft. We'll do that every week, especially during the NFL season. We deal really with all the trench stuff, linebackers, running backs, tight ends, offensive, defensive line, all the battles that go on there, the techniques that win, the mindsets that win, the behaviors that win, how schemes play into the different personnel groups we have. So that's a lot of fun. And, and just uh, besides that, just raising kids, enjoying life, Kev. All right, great. Well, yeah, you definitely have a full plate there. So, uh, again, we thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chop it up with us. All right. So, Mike, as you probably well know, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the NFL just completed the uh, 2023 NFL draft. Uh, even though free agency is still going on, most of the pretty much most of the heavy lifting and free agency has already been done. Uh, teams have are now filling in, you know, their roster for the you know up to 90 men that they can take uh, to training camp uh, this upcoming um, 
July here. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Carolina Panthers, uh, of course, we're up under a, a new regime. Uh, we're up under the Frank Wright regime now. Uh, Coach Wright um, retained uh, your good pal and buddy, uh, former coach, uh, former online coach for you, uh, James Campen, which was mm-hmm. huge. I mean, every, you couldn't find out one Panther fan that did not want uh, this uh, to did not want James to stay. So we're glad that he glad that he did. Um, so um, definitely on the offensive line side and on the defensive side, Panthers are switching from a four three up under Phil Snow to now a three four up under um, Ijiro Ivaro, um, who was a defensive coordinator um, for um, the Denver Broncos. But with a little research, I found out that he was an assistant up under Don Capers back in 2016 in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely bringing over that a uh, three four philosophy, which I've always kind of preferred myself. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, we're going to definitely talk about how the uh, players that's currently on the roster and that were just recently added through Freitas in the draft on both sides of the trenches can um, can help the Panthers improve. And because we all know, you know, the trenches dictate pretty much the flow of the game and uh, pretty much the outcome as well. Yeah, especially when you run that 3-4 defense. Yeah, it's, it's on the defensive line. It's Those guys are unheralded stars. In the National Football League, those guys will get a lot of, especially the, the I'm talking about the D tackles in the three four scheme. A lot of times, those guys don't have stats and don't get sacks. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have good players at those positions to keep your uh, your linebackers clean to be able to play that gap and a half technique, you're really going to have a hard time being an effective defense. And so, you know, hopefully, they have the, the right mixture of guys that are already in this scheme, and then maybe they brought in a handful. It looks like they brought in a handful of guys. Sean Williams and Shai Tuttle in particular that might be able to add to uh, what they got going on here in Carolina. Yeah, well, since you start on the defensive side, let's uh, let's begin there. So uh, with the 3-4, and a lot of our fans may not know, you know, uh, I know you definitely know and guys like, uh, you know, me and Smooth, by the way, he, he was supposed to have joined us, uh, but he had a family emergency, had to catch a quick flight from Atlanta to New Jersey. Uh, there was an untimely um, death in the family, so our condolences to um, Smooth of the Four Man Rush. Um, he's currently uh, he left Atlanta. He hit me up about one forty and told me uh, apologize to you for not being able to make it. So just want to get ahead. Safe so. travels. That's too bad to hear. Yeah, definitely. But uh, so back to this three four here. Um, the point I was trying to make was there's different there's there's different types of three fours. There's the traditional two gap three four defense, mm-hmm. and then there's the one gap, and it's been said that under uh, Evero, we're going to run the one-gap style of 3-4. Now, for our fans, Mike, do you mind explaining the difference? As uh, we were just talking about the uh, job of the D-line, what's the difference between a one-gap 3-4 um, philosophy and scheme versus a two-gap? Sure. So so just very – at the most basic level, just think of a one-gap as somebody who you, – you have one responsibility. So if I'm lining up a three technique, I own the B-gap. I have to shoot the B-gap. I can penetrate a little bit more. And I, we're playing a little bit more of a penetrating defense. When you think about one gappers, you think about more of a penetrating defense. When you think about two gappers, you're basically lining up kind of on the body of the guard or the tackle, and you're responsible for kind of the gap on either side. And what you're trying to do is eat up a lot of space, keep guys from getting to the second-level linebackers. What the Packers do and what I suspect the Panthers will be doing predominantly is running what we call a gap and a half, Kev. So a gap and a half okay. is basically like you start by running a two-gap look or and you're kind of you you're trying to push the the offensive lineman into one gap and you can always fall back 
into your your half gap, right? So you're trying to take that you're trying to take that lineman and push him down and have him clog a part of a hole, and then you can always fall back into the backside. So instead of that true two gap look where you're just pressing, locking out, trying to read both sides, trying to take up space. <clears throat> You're trying to push that that offensive lineman into a hole without him being able to rise to the second level, but you're always willing to fall back. That's something that a guy like Kenny Clark, you start thinking about, you know, really mm-hmm. good three, four D tackles. Kenny Clark for the Green Bay Packers. That's something he does as well as anybody in the National Football League. <laughs> yeah, Kenny Clark. Yeah, he's definitely someone I uh, definitely enjoy watching. Uh, as you know, my 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 daughter Jelani, who's in mm-hmm. um, California, she's a big Packers fan. I'm hoping she'll hop on because I think she had a couple of questions she want to ask you about the squad. But uh, but yeah, Kenny Clark, um, he's definitely uh, he definitely fits that mold. And you know, for the Carolina Panthers, you know, uh, you you mentioned up the free agents uh, that we brought in um, with uh, Shy Tuttle and also um, uh, Williams um, here, uh, Deshaun Williams, who's uh, mm-hmm. actually from the area. Uh, Deshaun Williams, he runs about 6'1", 295. Uh, with Shai Tuttle, he's going about 6'3", uh, 300. Mm-hmm. And it's suspected that uh, – and the other uh, line pieces are obviously going to be Derrick Brown, 6'5", uh, running about 320. Um, so between those three players, uh, are, are do you think they're interchangeable as far as nose and the, uh, the zero technique for the nose and the – uh, other uh, tech, the deep, whatever you want to call them, DN or DTs, just depends on your preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are they, are they, you think these guys are interchangeable, or do you see that one is going to be a better fit in one particular uh, gap than the other? Yeah, when you look at when you look at Tuttle coming from New Orleans, he's probably more comfortable playing over the center. So my my guess is he's going to be the guy that's going to play predominantly at nose tackle. Not a big okay. guy, not a big guy at three hundred pounds. You know, quite frankly, I mean this. Your defensive interiors, everything everything starts and stops with Derek Brown. Derek Brown is on the cusp of being an elite level defensive tackle. He, you know, he, he does so many things well. He's I love the leverage. I love the play speed. I feel like he can beat multiple offensive players on the same snap. So he's got a lot of you know, kind of traits of an elite level guy. And now it'll be interesting to see being able to play that four, that four-eye technique, maybe shift down and play the three technique when you go to an over and under front with that three-four defense because you do mm-hmm. have, you know, an elite guy in Brian Brown on the on the edge. It'd be interesting to see how this helps him kind of improve his game because it's given him different opportunities from different positions on the field. When I look at Deshaun Williams, um, active hands guy, he plays with a little wiggle in pro. He's not a great pass rusher by any means. But um, he's a guy that he he does a good job of kind of locking out. And Tuttle does the same thing. Both these guys are kind of lockout players, and they play hard through the whistle. They're really good at, at reading and reacting. They're really good at chasing down plays. Neither of them are what you would consider pass rush guys, but most of the guys you hire in a 3-4, when you're talking about the nose tackle, you're talking about defensive tackles, they're not really traditionally. It's like you think of like Ty Warren back for the Patriots back in the day. Right. They're not traditionally these great pass rushers. Are you going to get that pass rush from your scheme? You're going to pass rush for your, from your edge, your outside linebacker play. And then I think you're going to get some in this defense with Derek Brown still as well. But these guys are kind of space eaters. They got to do a lot of dirty work. It is an, it is a a uh, unforgiving job, but I, I think they're certainly up for the task and they both have proven in their schemes on prior teams that they can play at this level. 
yeah, we talk about old school um, D tackles. You know, one of my favorite to watch, not only in college, University of Miami, but for the New England Penguins, was uh, Vince Wilford. Yeah. Um, you talking about a guy that for his size that could move. Um, did you ever have any battles against him? Oh, yeah. He was a great – the first play of uh, 2005 or two, – 2000 must have been 2005 season. We played the Patriots. They came to Carolina. Watched the first snap. Mm-hmm. I launched him about three yards off the ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's – hey, listen, great player. But here's, here's, the, here's the truth about um, really, really big guys playing defensive line. Mm-hmm. When you're an offensive lineman, a, a, a guy like that, he – he is a, he's not a day off because the guy's a stud, right? Right. But he doesn't impose a threat from a, a, a pass rush perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I used to have to play against Tractor Trailer, Ted Washington, those guys in Chicago. They are difficult to run the ball against, but they're big. They're not penetrating guys, so they're just big bodies. Mm-hmm. And then they don't really rush the passer. So from an offensive line standpoint, I know this is not how the scheme guys think about it, but I'm just talking about, like, we're always worried about how do you win your matchup. Right. They really don't strike fear into guys like me because they can't get around me. They don't really want to go through me, and all they're really trying to do is hold that ground and eat that space up. Right. So when I think about guys that make me nervous, I think much more about guys like Derek Brown who are not who are willing to pass rush and penetrate than like 350, 360-pound guys, even though I think they're super impressive as athletes. And they're it's not like they're easy to play against. It's just it's it's a different kind of sensation when you go into a game like worrying about the run and the pass game. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because you was reading my mind because another guy on the Panthers roster that I, I thought would be a good fit uh, at the zero technique was uh, Marquand McCall. He's uh, 6'3", about 345. Mm-hmm. Uh, second year out of Kentucky and a holdover from the uh, previous regime, um, Bravion Roy. He played a lot of uh, zero technique at Baylor, uh, 6'1", 330 um, here as well. He's coming up on his fourth year, contract year. So, um, Same kind of I, I guy guess- when you watch him, right? He's a big body, not a pass mm-hmm. rush threat. I'm right. talking about Bravion Roy. And, and that doesn't make him, again, what fans are going to have to understand this year is like, if you're looking at the D tackle to be a stat stuffer, you're going to be disappointed. Truly. Yeah. They're, they're, you'll know they're doing their job if you're rushing yards per carry and yards per game is low. Then they're doing their job. If they're not doing their job, that's how you know. It has nothing really to do with their stats. If they fall off on a couple tackles, great. But generally speaking, even in the gap and a half scheme, they'll have more than the two gap. But they're not going to get you – know, the numbers just are never going to be great. Right, like a former teammate of yours in Green Bay. Oh, man, when I saw him on TV, the guy was huge. Uh, Gilbert Brown. Big Gilb, yep. Oh, man. Yeah, he was just like. Now, he, he was just, a true nose tackle, though. That was a that was a 4-3 old school. That's just how back in the day, you remember, they just started finding big dudes, and they put him at that shade technique on the, on the yep. center, and they were just like, I bet you can't move this guy because, you know, <laughs> the pendulum's always swinging, right? You get big offensive linemen. Aaron Donald becomes the best defensive tackle in the league. You get smaller offensive linemen, Albert Hainsworth became the best D tackle in the league. It just, that's how it works. And so for that moment in time, Gilbert, like nobody could block Gilbert. And I think that was right. He, he kind of became in vogue after obviously the fridge had just been in there in the eighties. And then he was kind of the next wave of just monster dudes who could get a little push in the past game, had a great personality, tough player. But, you know, really when you look at, 
back in the day, he was really a first and second down guy. He was never on the field in third down. He's not like, in other words, he's not an every down player that you're looking at. Right. And one of the things behind the scenes that me and um, Smooth were discussing as far as like trying to put out is a way of, you know, judging the play in the trenches better, because like I say, it's not the trenches is not a stat stuffer type of thing. Um, we were looking at, you know, watching, you know, film, you know, see how often, uh, uh, you know, a lineman, you know, on a deep on the defense line side, how, you know, how they maintain against double teams. You know, are they to hold a position or do they get pushed back? Do they get penetration or, you know, are they disrupting, the, you know, the blocking scheme? You know, did they knock a pulling guard out the way? You know, things, you know, things like that and try to uh, we're going to try to feature that as more of a way of, you know, explaining line play. But there's a stat that uh, I kind of fell in love with through um, NFL Next Gen. I was wondering if you could uh, explain it um, a little bit more in detail um, that we try to use, again, to show effectiveness of uh, defensive linemen. It's the uh, run-stop win rate. Uh, do you mind explaining that uh, to uh, to me and the fans here? Yeah. Listen, I'll start by preface by saying this. I don't okay. I don't buy anything that Amazon Next Gen Stats sells at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just listen, just because as you know, like you, you like watching film, right? If you mm-hmm. watch film and some guy from Amazon watches film and you guys come up with a different conclusion, who am I to believe? But you, you see what I mean? But with the, gotcha. with the okay. win rate, what they're, what they're essentially saying is they have some metric for success. So like when, when Amazon okay. builds out a pass rush win rate or, or, or a run block win rate, they're saying, did the defensive player get, a penetration or be pushed back to this point in range in this amount of time, or did they release from their blocker in this amount of time? So what happens a lot is let's say, for example, let's say for example, that Derek Brown gets double teamed. Okay. Let's not use Derek Brown. Let's use a backup. Let's say Kobe Jones goes, or uh, uh, Raekwon Williams goes in, gets double teamed, falls over. Okay. Is lying on his back and the running back falls on top of him within a yard of the line of scrimmage, he's mm-hmm. going to get, he's going to get a plus for Amazon. <laughs> you see what I mean? So it becomes a bit right. of a problem, but that what basically what they're saying is, is this player getting pushed back or getting into the line of scrimmage? Is it a yard? Is it a yard? Have they have, they have a standardized metric for success or is he okay. able to, in the pass rush situation, is he able to release from his blocker within a second and a half, two seconds, two and a half seconds, whatever it is, right? So it all depends on proximity from the quarterback. There's a bunch of different ways they try to look at it to make it as definitive as possible. But it those stats are always difficult for me, Kevin, because they they come without context. They don't know the context of the play. They don't know the decision the running back made, for example. They don't know the decision the quarterback made, where he's supposed to line up, et cetera. So I think it's really difficult. You know what? It's got me idea. I mean, maybe – um you know, uh, off camera, you know, maybe uh, we can sit down and put something together and have it rated for the fall, some sort of grading metric, and then, you know, try to, you know, promote it and push it, get it out there. You know, obviously, with your name being way bigger than mine, <laughs> you know. So, you so know, I, used to, I used to do this uh, when I was working for teams. I, I created a, I created a process-based kind of standardized way to, to look at, at tape. And so for, mm-hmm. for like defensive tackles, for example – what you, what do you want to look at to see if they're successful? I mean, I, I don't mind giving information away because if you can do it, then go do it, right? Right. So you you look at first of all, are they in a stance that's like are they are they in a stance that's going to put them in a position to be successful? Is there where how is their first step? Is their first step 
within a range? Like, is it under? Is it landing where their 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 down hand is? Where's their toe pointed? How are their how's their hip height and their pad level into contact? Are their hands inside or outside? Like these kind of the things that you know. And again, are they playing a one gap? Are they playing a gap at half? Are they playing a two gap? You have to understand all of that. But mm-hmm. now you can look at stuff and say, and say, okay, this is what they're being required to do. Like a, I'm playing a gap and a half guy. And is my man able to two hand press hands on the chest of the guard and crush him into the A gap and, and play the B gap? If he does that, whether he makes the play or not, he wins. If he doesn't do yeah. that, he loses. It's pretty, you know, it becomes very, very binary, right? It becomes a little bit easier because you're looking at how they're doing things as opposed to the outcome of the game. Okay. All right. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk yeah, about that. it offline sometime, but it's, I, I, for me, it's a much better way. It's a much better way to teach and it's a much better way for these guys to progress. Yeah. And I, I, I think like information like that needs to be, you know, made more known to, um, uh, to the public, to, you know, the judge, because, you know, you know, in general, you know, you know, and, you know, fans are fans, you know, they first thing to run to ooh, how many sacks he got, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> You know, like they made a big deal. Dad Brown ain't good. He ain't had but one sack last year. Like, are you no, serious? No. Did you did you just say because he only had one sack, he wasn't good last year? Like, it'd it just be <laughs> well, and, a, and that's the problem. A fickle place. <laughs> well, that's the problem with it. This is why I always I always kind of dog on Amazon next gen stats because what what are they really created for? They're created for for fan usage, right? So you can have these conversations, mm-hmm. but they're not really progressing the argument because they're non-contextual so you're just it's like you and i can sit down with the same sheet of stats and i can create an argument you can create an argument and we can both think that we're right and we could be on completely opposite opposite ends of the spectrum right and so again if you're not willing to it's fun to have casual conversations but if you want to engage in like how are people playing if you don't go to the tape you know then then say then stay off twitter i guess i don't, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> right Okay, all right. So, as you know, Mike, because uh, I know you keep up with uh, certain st- statistics as well and metrics. Uh, I know that uh, Ivaro mentioned this in his press conference. Uh, the base defense has only played about twenty percent of the snaps, give or take, mm-hmm. um, here. So, there's a lot of uh, sub packages here. Now, let me ask you this: under a three-four philosophy, mm-hmm. um, sub packages, are we looking at you know back to a traditional four-man front? Yeah. Um, I've seen some, you know, like the three, three, five, I've seen that used. Um, I even seen, um, a two, four, five, um, particularly used as well. Um, when it comes to sub packaging in a defensive line, like where, where, where do you see, or where do you feel like up under, um, what the Panthers possibly uh, could be looking at here? Well, I mean, if you, you look at a four, two or a two, four, they're pretty much the same thing, right? It's depending on what you want to call Brian Burns or what you want to call Marquise Haynes, right? If are they, are they linebackers? They turn into defensive ends. That's how most people kind of look at that. You're really just looking at the, how many, how many defensive backs you're going to put in the game. That's your first question. Right. And okay. so, so with, with the NFC South, the guys are going to play the most. You just start looking at how do I need to match up in order to um, effectively limit the running back to less than four yards of carry while being able to contend with the tight end and the slot receivers in the offense. That's really kind of what the, that's generally how these guys are thinking about it. How, how few people can I put on the feet in the box in order to stop the run under four yards of carry under four and a half, whatever their threshold is. And so mm-hmm. I would generally guess even in a three, four defense, you're probably just going to go back to, uh, a four-two look or, or two-four look, however you want to say it, 
probably right. run nickel. And then you're going to have that guy that safety is that you'll be able to come down if you want to start running more of a single safety high deal instead of instead of a shell a traditional shell look, what most guys are doing now. You look at like most people in the league for the last couple of years, it's more like bend but don't break. I'm going to give you the lines between the 20 and the 30. Uh, or the 30 and the 30, and then once we get down there, I don't want you to be able to kick that field goal, so I'm going to try to shore up my defense a little bit more and try to stop that run. But most teams are saying, listen, a guard's going to get an offsides call or a holding call. Running back's going to slip in the hole. Like, we're going to throw two incomplete passes. Something bad's going to happen before you have to go – if I make you march 80 yards. And, you know, for the most part, teams are having enough success with that to feel confident running it. I I personally would rather see – I would rather see a seven-man box or at minimum a six-man box most of the time, but we're seeing a ton of dime five-man boxes. You know, four-one looks with you know bringing in a, a dime a dime guy, and it just it, I don't know about you, man, but it drives me insane. Yeah, it definitely does. And and one of the um, things about with the path to play here that uh, a lot of fans have had um, plenty of discussion about where his best fit is uh, is Jeremy Chin, and it was mentioned. Um, by uh, both Ero and Capers that they see him playing more in the box but still be moved around. Uh, and this is a term, and I, again, appreciate you if you can break it down for us, uh, the big nickel. Because for me, I look at it as there's a slot nickel and then there's big nickel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you quote look up the definition, that's pretty much like an extra safety that kind of yeah. comes down and plays like a, a linebacker role. I, I guess that's my generic version uh, for it versus your traditional slot that's just – Pretty much there to do more covering than um, um, than anything. So, uh, give me your opinion on um, the uh, the whole conversation about nickel, slot nickel, big nickel. Yeah, so I, I would look. I just kind of look at look at it this way. If you say slot nickel, that was probably a, a kid who played cornerback in college. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if you say big nickel, that's a kid who probably played safety in college. Okay, okay. so you're you're talking realistically in the NFL. You're probably talking somewhere between you know ten to twenty pounds and weight difference between corners and safeties, and if you and Chin, Chin is a guy who you know you could close your eyes and say oh, in college you could have played linebacker you know it, you you put, throw a couple of pounds on him it's not that far away so he's the kind of guy that is more the enforcer role maybe in that when you think about big nickel he's going to be a guy that maybe you can match him up against some tight ends but you're not he's not there to play man-to-man coverage. He's there to drop down in the box. He's there to play a little bit of zone and be that guy who's hitting crossers, be that guy who's filling, plugging holes in, in the run game. So I think that's – I mean, when you look at this defense, bringing over Von Bell, you know, you have Chin, J.C. Horn, you have Shaq Thompson, Frank Lulu coming from the Jets. I, I mean, I think you have the pieces in place to, again, even maybe improve on what they've been doing the last couple of years with the new scheme. Um it just – it really is going to come down to can you find the complementary piece to Brian Burns on the other side creating that pass rush, and are you going to allow Derek Brown to flourish in what is a traditionally more difficult way for a, like a one-gap playing defensive tackle to flourish? So those I think those will be the interesting pieces. I think the rest of these guys are kind of set to have big years uh, given the new defensive structure and given the talent they have on the board already. Yeah, definitely it's going to be one of the training camp battles where a lot of our fans are going to be looking forward to. All right, so we've been talking about the uh, the big boys a little bit. Let's kind of step out a little bit here to the, um, you know, if you want to call it edge, DN, outside linebacker. Uh, probably the biggest current conversation amongst Panther Twitter is 
who's going to be the guy opposite of Brian Burns mm-hmm. uh, to uh, rush and uh, get after the passer? Uh, you know, one of the things I looked up last year, the Panthers, believe it or not, they were top 10 in quarterback pressures, but they were like bottom five or bottom 10 in like actual sacks. So it's kind of like we're kicking the door, but we're not getting a bad guy every time. So, uh, and then with us not signing Hassan Reddick, which was painful to watch him go crazy in Philly this year, a lot of, it's got a lot of Panther fans in the mood. So, uh, with the, with the drafting of DJ Johnson in the third round out of, um, out of Oregon, uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely got a lot of mixed reviews. Uh, you know, you know, some fans like, Hey, I can see the potential. He's athletic. He's this and that other fans were like, man, he was in college six years and ain't got, but you know, a total of eight sacks and you know, j- just that in the third. So, and I'm looking at guys also like Amarni Barno, you know, coming back in um, just last week. Uh, you know, if you caught the uh, interview, I did one with uh, Marquise Haynes mm-hmm. uh, here as well. So personally, I-, I think we actually had the guys on the roster to be able to generate that pass rush opposite of Brian Burns um, here. But I- I'm definitely not opposed to if they want to spend some money and bring someone in. I know one of the more popular requests has been like a, a Leonard Floyd uh, here, but Again, in a, in a three-four base um, here, Mike. Um, what what do you think about the Panther options as far as uh, that other uh, outside linebacker spot? Well, the thing about the three-four is they'll usually, if they're going to bring four guys, it's going to be either Burns or sometimes it's going to be the guy opposite him. So, in the three-four, mm-hmm. one of the one of the downsides can be that you don't rush maybe your best guys all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to have a, a guy on the other side that can can bring it and can th- and can threaten the edge. And so I think this is going to be more of a pass rush by committee on okay. the other side of Brian Burns. Uh, you you look at Marquise Haynes, um, he can he's a guy that can increase he can still work to increase his play speed. He can engage better with his hands and start thinking about like how to improve his launch angle into the offensive tackle so that he can use his athleticism a little bit better. A lot of guys are just, you know, continuing to run upfield and then like kind of run right down the middle of these guys, try to engage and then separate late. We can we need to be using leverage and angles off the snap in order to create better situations when we have when we go into contact. I see some of the I see some of these DJ Johnson the the, the rookie like you said, even if he was a not a six-year player, usually when you bring in a rookie uh, it just takes a little while to get up to the play speed and the talent that you're going to be playing against week in and week out. And I know right. the Pac-12 has got some good talent, but this is a whole different thing. So, again, I, I wouldn't expect that you're going to see this breakout double-digit sack season from a guy like that. Um, the good thing about the 3-4 is guys like Shaq Thompson are going to uh, – guys like Frank LeVu, they're going to get free rushes. Like you can yes. create a lot of action – because you have to deal with like the count just changes a little bit for the offensive line and the, and the quarterback. So especially, and even the, you think, talk about the running back as far as what the, where their eyes have to go. So you're going to bring different kinds of pressure because your edge guys, your outside linebackers are going to be expected to be part of the passing game as well as the rush. And that's going to open up you know, your safeties. It's going to open up your linebacker, your your inside linebackers to, to get a, a couple more free moves. You're going to run some games inside to free up the D, those D tackles. But it is something you got to have to consider when you go to that three four defense. Having that D tackle and Derek Brown that can rush is a huge deal because he's going to get a lot of single blocks. But the other mm-hmm. side of that is if you don't have an edge player or multiple edge players that can really threaten, 
it's tough to find figure out where you're going to generate that pass rush unless you got these two guys, like these two new guys. Are they good enough to bull rush guards, centers, and create that that pocket pressure to flush your quarterback? I don't know if those are the guys that are just going to naturally do that, but generally speaking, that's what you have to look for. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, because I, I just think that uh, it was just too many times as a fan last year watching the games. It's like, oh, we was right there, particularly on like third and eight. Uh, good coverage, creating pressure, and somehow the quarterback just steps up right before we get to him and throws that little slant or something. And that's, you know, first down. That used to be so frustrating to watch. So, well, definitely hoping that, you know, one of those guys can materialize to. Uh, close the deal. Uh, I even saw where uh, fourth-year player Utier Gross Models has uh, been given a chance. He's been labeled as an outside linebacker now. Mm-hmm. Me personally, uh, I thought his better fit was a four-three DN. But hey, you know if, if, if that's what they want to do. Uh, one thing I did like about what Coach Wright said is says everybody here has a fresh start. So uh, I definitely like to hope that in year four, Gross Models, who was one of my favorite players coming out, uh, can finally find a home, find a niche where he's able to be productive and consistent um, here. But uh, uh, but overall, man, I'm, I'm just waiting to see how these position battles in on the defense line going to gonna play out for the uh, Carolina Panthers. And I definitely – I'm personally confident in the uh, the moves made and uh, the roster that's on the um, – the talent that's on the roster. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, you know, the big thing is, like Coach Reich said, is you get, it's a new room, it's a new scheme, new you know, a couple of new guys on the coaching staff. And you never know – you never know when a guy's just like the light's going to turn on or what the impetus for that, do, you know, for, for sparking that flame. You just never know what it's going to be. Is it a new coach? Is it a new system? Is it just the way they're hearing something? Is they're putting their hand up, their hand out of the ground instead of being in a three point all the time? Like all this stuff, you just never know what's going to happen. So it'll be, it's as long as they're working hard and they got their behaviors right, these guys have a chance to do something really special because you just look at the roster right now on defense. There's a lot of good players on the team. Yep. All right, so we're going to go to the other side of the trenches now here, Mike. You know, we talked about the uh, uh, D-line because, uh, like I said, definitely uh, you asked a lot of questions and curiosities about uh, how the uh, how the linemen playing on the 3-4. So let's go back to this more established um, offensive line that the Panthers brought in. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, you know, the Panthers retained Panthers offensive line, James Campen under um, Frank Wright, who said it was – Crucial, and I didn't know if you got a chance to see it because it kind of went viral amongst Panthers Twitter, Mike. Uh, the reaction of James Campen when we drafted in the fourth round, uh, Chandler Zavala. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know if you had a chance to see that, but uh, he was, ha- was a happy man, very happy. I mean, clapping, just excitement. It's like that's what you want to see out of your uh, uh, your O line coach. So definitely, uh, definitely glad uh, that we drafted him because uh, he was someone that I had did a lot of mocks with that I felt would be a good fit here. But overall, as a unit, you know, the Panthers do have some concerns on offensive line. Uh, here, the concerns are both guards in week 18 uh, at New Orleans suffered um, some pretty significant injuries. Um, right guard Austin Corbett uh, tore his ACL and left guard Brady Christian uh, fractured his ankle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the uh, pre-draft uh, press conference, uh, Frank Wright mentioned that uh, Corbett is going to probably miss some games heading into the season. Yeah. Here, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a competition for that uh, that right guard spot. Uh, 
course, one of my favorite free agent signings, of course, we brought back Bradley Bozeman on a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was huge uh, for us. Definitely once he got plugged into the starting line last year, uh, things just got a lot better, particularly in the run game for us. Um, you know, Iquanu, you know, we've got a, got a year season under his um, belt, so I think he's definitely going to um, come back better. And then, of course, the, the OG of the offensive line, you know, Taylor Moten. Um, great player. Great player, you know, hasn't missed, hasn't not missed a snap since 2017. I mean, the wow. best ability is, uh, is availability, and uh, I definitely think that he was, um, um, you know, he's the he's uh, the unquestioned leader uh, of this O line. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned, we addressed in um, free agency. We brought in some guys. Um, pull up his name here real quick. Uh, Justin McCrary, uh, who worked with Campin, uh, both. Uh, in Houston, and I believe at Green Bay, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I know, uh, Justin. Yeah, uh, we uh, brought him in as well. Um, still on the roster, uh, Deontay Brown, six-round pick from uh, 2021. Uh, very popular amongst Panther fans was Cade Mays out of Tennessee in his second year out of uh, Tennessee. Um, definitely got some time playing fullback, which was fun to watch. I think we had talked about that a little bit um, um, in an earlier um, interview we had did how fun that is to uh, get the big guys in the backfield. Um, look at this Panthers offensive line. Uh, we're gonna start with the interior first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bozeman looks to be pretty set. Uh, how, how how do you feel about the um, the not only the additions of uh, Justin McCray and um, uh, Chandler Zavala, uh, but also the um, uh, play of you know guys like Brady Christensen. Um, coming back, how, how do you see the uh, Panthers' interior looking? Well, everything's up in you know in flux, obviously because of of, of Corbett and Christensen and what their their health's going to be like. Austin Corbett's a, a good pro in this league. He's only going to get you know continue to get better, I think, as as the years go on. Uh, I like his style of play. He does things a little bit differently, I think, than maybe some other guards are being taught. But he's effective in the, in his footwork and the way he tries to attack the game. Brady Christensen, Christensen, to me, is still trying to figure it out. Um, he still needs to improve his play strength. He's got, I think he's got, he's a, he's a, he's a good athlete. He's got relatively good feet. Can continue to improve his hands and, and leverage. You know, his his hip power into contact, I think, is something they can really work on. But I, I just like the way that he tries to finish through plays. I think that that counts for more than we than we usually uh, give credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with that being said, you, you bring in a guy like Zavala out of NC State, and he was a pretty high rated guard in this in this draft. I had a couple guys rated above him, but you know he's a, he's a pretty decent athlete. He's a, he's a big guy. He shows some he, he shows some good kind of weight room strength. I think he can, he can improve his play strength and explosive and a contact. But what I really liked about him when you watch him on film, I was actually watching um, the linebacker for Clemson, and then I started watching like, oh man, this guard is just eating him up. You know the uh, what was the linebacker's name for Clemson? Um, the one that got drafted. The one that got drafted. Yeah, uh, the- Trenton Simpson. Trenton. Yeah, I was watching Simpson, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, this this guard is just eating this kid alive in the center as well. And so he kind of stood out from that reason. But I really like that you could tell that Chandler Zavala is a kind of a detailed guy. Like his his stance is correct. His footwork. He's trying to do things in a. In a in a consistent manner, he's very good. If he picks one foot up, he's going to put the other one back in place. Like he does, it's very easy to teach those guys. 
because they already kind of have the base level foundational requirements of technique. So when Campen goes to work and tries to improve this player, it's not like you're starting with this, this like, you know, bowl of unmolded clay. Like this guy's got some pretty good foundational techniques already. So now it's just a question of can you improve some leverage angles and body position things so you can go into contact with a little more potential power for explosion. And then you're going to be, I think you're going to be over time, a good player, depending on what his, you know, his, his mentality is. So he's a guy that could probably, I mean, there's, I'll just tell you this right now. There's guys that are worse than him starting in the league right now. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. yeah. So you, you just look at it from that standpoint, like he, he can play right away at what level. I'm not sure. But if you need a guy at Austin Corbett it, it, to come in, you know, I, my initial thing was, well, if they're both healthy, I would just put him at left guard and let him fight out with Brady Christians for left guards. I think long-term he's probably going to be, maybe has a higher ceiling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, Icky is, you know, Icky and Charles Cross, both those guys last year, I thought were just special, special rookies. Um, Taylor Moten is, I became a huge fan last year, really a Taylor, just watching film of him and, and seeing what a pro he is and how he treats every single snap. Um, and he's one of those guys that, and this is not a big deal to some people, but he doesn't give away plays. So he, he gives you, he gives you, you know, very consistent looks. He's very consistent with his body position and hands. He's patient. He does a lot of things, right. Um, bringing in Hayden Hurst at the tight end position, I think is going to help this team a lot as far as what they're able to do on offense, both in the run and the, and, and the pass game. Bozeman continuity is important. Um, but when you say, you know, where can we make the biggest leap here? I don't know that you make a leap with the offensive line play this year with those two guards coming back from injury, except for individually, you would expect that Icky's going to have a jump from year one to year two. And you expect mm-hmm. Bozeman's going to continue to prove under the tutelage of Campen. Yeah, because I, I think that if there was an area of improvement, um, you know, for Bozeman would be in uh, being pass pro, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, based on, you know, the film watching, you know, that we had did. You know, and uh, of course with Icky, you know, he had his he had his you know baptism by fire. I mean, first game lined up against you know Miles Garrett, and that's never a good sign. <laughs> and outside of two back to back bad plays, he pretty much held his own against Garrett. But those two plays he made were game changers. You know, both were um, uh, were sacks. So it was just uh, it was rough. And then I think he had a streak of like eight nine games. Uh, where he didn't give up a sack after uh, after uh, week two, so uh, I just definitely think that um, uh, Iki Aquano is definitely uh, trending in the uh, trending in the right direction here. Um, I like the fact, and I didn't know if you had a chance to go back and look uh, that North Carolina State 2021 film when when both of them were side by side. Man, like they were just like some road graded monsters. Like uh, I think Zavala said at his press conference, uh, him and uh, Iki were tied for uh, bottles of pancake syrup. That their offensive line coach gave out, and then we had his uh, back injury. You know, uh, Icky kind of took over from there. So, um, hey man, um, like I said, made the best man win. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all for let the best play win, but uh, I'm definitely excited about the future potential because they already got a chemistry, you know, and an understanding of each other, and you know, techniques and tendencies. And of course, you know, you let Camp and get his hands on them. I mean, I just, I just think that left side could uh, really uh, form up to be something special, um, not only this year but in the uh, in the years to come. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Icky's a Icky's a special talent. He, he, we talked about last year. He he needs to improve his relationship with the ground, um, as far as the way that you know, you know the way that he he his literal relationship with the floor. Sometimes it looks like he's on ice skates, but he's an incredible athlete. Moves really well. Has great bend. He's aggressive. Has the mentality that you want. Um, 
that they played together and they've had success before, I mean, that only builds into the narrative that they could play well in the National Football League together. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. So um, not knowing the timetable of how long um, Austin Corbett could be out, uh, like I said, first person that came to my mind uh, to take his place was uh, Cade Mays mm-hmm. um, here because uh, I think at Tennessee, I think he at one point or another played all five positions uh, while he was there. Um, he did get some spot duty um, in um, whenever uh, Corbett uh, went out last year. And I think uh, Michael Jordan uh, filled in for Brady Christian when he got hurt uh, in that last game against the Saints. But um, Kay Mays, uh, what, what is it that you see that you uh, like about him and what's the area that you think he proved that could uh, allow him to get some some reps uh, starting at a possibly a right guard while Corbett is on the mend? Uh, you know, honestly, I think it would be tough for him to start over Chandler Savala. I, I mean, I just don't, I don't see if it's me and Christensen can play, then I, I just tell Savala to go play right guard. Um, you know, Kate Mays, listen, it's, it all comes down to when you transition from college to the national football league, mm-hmm. the transition is, first of all, the playbook increases it feels like parabolically, right? I mean, the playbook, there's so many different calls and, and, you know, there's, there's 27 different words that start with W and 27 different words that start with T, you know what I mean? It just, you're like, Oh my God, there's so many plays. And there's so many responsibilities you have to have. And, and you, you don't know how to, you don't know how to put them together in your mind. So it just goes like, Oh, like, you know, W means we're going to the right or, you know, whatever it is. And it's automatic. We just don't, you know, it's hard. And so that's, that's the first part they have to deal with. And then the, the next part is, and a guy like Cade Mays is, you are going to consistently, six-round draft pick, you're going to consistently meet guys that are better athletes than you that have more experience. And what are you going to do about it, right? So are you going to able to, from, from last year to this year, can you increase your speed of, your speed of thought so you can increase your speed of play? And then can you put yourself in better body positions? Because the whole game is pre-confrontation in, in, the, in the offensive line. It's body position and footwork. Can you become automatic with your footwork? Can you become a hip hinge athlete every single snap so that you can enter into confrontation under control in a better position than your opponent? And it, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to do, but conceptually it's very simple. So for a guy like Cade, Cade Mays, what he really has to do is become a master of his footwork, his first, his first and second initial step, and his body position. Staying with your chest down, no numbers mentality, hip hinge athlete, so you can go into confrontation under control. If they do, if you spend all offseason doing that, you can play in the National Football League. If you don't do it, you're going to find they're going to find somebody who can. You brought up a good point there because I, I guess I didn't really think about it because primarily, and this is something we didn't discuss numerous times before. Uh, with Chandler Zavala, he primarily only played left guard, so I was kind of under the impression maybe that he might just be a, a left-sided player, so I never really thought about him at right guard as a possibility um, here because we've seen some players can make the switch with no problem and some players, um, you know, struggle on, on one side. But that that definitely be something worth um, taking a look at, like you said, especially if a, a Brady Christian comes back from this fractured ankle um, with that. Now, now typically, uh, I don't know if you ever had that type of injury, but uh, for the fans, how, how is it coming back from because uh, it seems like when um, linemen, particular offensive linemen, have lower leg extremities, it kind of 
take something out of their game a little bit. Um, do you think these type of injuries could be or something that the, uh, they can get back to how they were before, or would they would have to would they have to adjust to a new way with the ACL on Corbett and with the fractured ankle of Christensen? ACLs are. ACLs used to be the kiss of death in football back in, you know, right. 20, 30 years ago. But now it's it's a pretty it's an it, it's a big deal, but it's it's kind of a run in the mill injury now where they they have mm. a protocol in place and guys come back just as 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 successful and able to move and strong and powerful as they ever were. Um, the bigger thing with those is usually what other damage is done with the ACL. Like, did you lose cartilage? Did you tear something else in there that is, is irrecoverable? Um but just an ACL tear, a straight ACL tear, like I think he comes back 100%. The ankle, it just depends. There's like – I forgot how many bones there are in the ankle. It's some ridiculous – that's like 30 or so. It's some ridiculous number. So it, it really depends mm-hmm. on how bad it is, um, and that will determine what kind of range of motion. Because remember, when we talk about relationship with the floor – you're really the first thing that is affected is your ankle, right? Like if you have good ankle right. mobility, then all of a sudden you can bend differently. You can engage the ground a little bit differently. You can put more cleats into the ground while maintaining a good like foot position forward instead of putting yourself out to the side. So if that affects him, you know, that is something that could potentially be a, a real negative, but we just don't know. Certainly we don't know uh, until we see him on, on the field, but even as he goes, as he comes out of surgery, they probably don't have a great idea what that's going to look like until a couple of weeks down the road. Okay. Well, uh, we definitely uh, hope and wish that, uh, you know, both players get a full complete speed of recovery and able to get back on the field till then, but it's, it's going to be good. Uh, going to be good camp battles to uh, uh, see who wins it out and um, who can help get us off to that, uh, uh, to a good start. I know the uh, schedule release, is a tentative for, uh, is it going to be tomorrow Thursday. or Friday? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Thursday. The, uh, yeah. Thursday, the 11th. I'm hearing it could be possibly delayed. We'll see, but they're trying to squeeze everything in. Uh, I know they had a meeting with uh, Roger Goodell yesterday in New York uh, with the people for the schedule. So definitely see how that, uh, see how that plays out. Um, Let's jump over here real quickly to the, uh, to tackles here. I know we just talking about Icking, you know, you talking about Taylor. Um, I guess with me, you know, because I always felt like when you play guard, and Mike, you play guards, you know, you know, technique and, and football cues is one thing, but you also got to have that nasty. And you like playing guard, you just kind of have that nasty, violent uh, type of mind frame. And that's one thing that, uh, again, it's not to pick on the guy. I just don't see that side with the Brady Christian. So I was kind of thinking possibly he might could be, you know, it was, let's say Zavala wins out. Um, Corbett comes back healthy. He could be that swing tackle. You know, mm-hmm. they can play, you know, um, uh, left tackle, right tackle, you, you know, if needed. But uh, with the late signing last night, looks like we're bringing back a uh, Panther favorite, uh, Cam Irving, on a one-year deal. I uh, didn't see the contract on the numbers of that yet. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely feel like that, you know, knock on wood, we would like to uh, keep as much consistency in starts and play it off this line. But, hey, injuries do happen. Um I, I, I guess in a pinch between Brady Christensen and um, Cam Irvin, uh, how, how do you feel about their ability to uh, play the swing tackle position? Well, Cam's obviously had more experience, but uh, I've never, I've never thought that that he would. You know, I didn't I ever thought Cam was a starter quality player uh, mm-hmm. in the league, even out of Florida State. Um, 
I feel the same way you do about about Brady. You know, you have two really, really good tackles. I mean, really good tackles. And the problem now is you're looking at it like, okay, Austin Corbett's probably not going to play. So Brady's probably going to have to be left guard because they're probably going to put uh, the, the rookie over at right at right guard. I'm just mm-hmm. gu- I'm guessing here, right? But th- right. this is what I would do. And you kind of got all your spots. So now it's that's probably why they signed Cam Irving back. Mm-hmm. Because they're because they're thinking, all right, we need we don't there's not a guy on the roster that we're comfortable saying you can play swing tackle for us in a pinch. Now, if the, if it, if both those guards were healthy, I would say and they drafted the way they did, I would bet they didn't bring Cam Irving back. I would bet they they did exactly what you said and go, okay, you know, we'll just put Brady out there in a pinch. And then mm-hmm. if something we see something in training camp that we just don't like, we could call these guys later. But it's like right. they're put they're bringing him right they're bringing him in right now because Austin Corbett can't play the first couple weeks of the season. Right. Okay. Well, uh, man, it's going to be a good one down there in um, Camp Warford, down there in good old good old Spartanburg, South Carolina. I know you uh I know you don't miss the heat down there, Mike. No, I hated that place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I absolutely hated them. I hate I hated training camp there. Uh, everything about it. I didn't. We didn't get why we were there. I I, th- I thought the Panthers they were building a, a new facility, right? And then something fell through. Yeah, long and short, uh, the city of Rock Hill um, tried to backdoor the agreed upon deal with Tepper, and uh, oh, no. he called their bluff, and he just shut the whole thing down. He just pulled his, so. yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, so hey, that know. guy. Yeah, he's not a he's not a man to, to mess with. That's for sure. Yeah, never mess with a man that's got brass testicles on his desk. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So um, overall, just give our fans some insights here. You know, this time of the season, you know, to get players getting back into the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got rookie minicamp coming up this week, and then after that, I hit the floor running with the OTAs, followed by the mandatory minicamp in June before the the six week break before training camp. Uh, what what is it that the uh, the linemen? Can you give us an insight on what it is that the uh, both offense and defense line like? What are, what are they learning and doing during this time, Mike? As far as the um, you know during the um, during the OTAs uh, session that's coming up, what, explain to us what that's like. Well, it depends. You know, the talk about the young guys, uh, young or just in general. Well, I mean, it's different for everybody, right? Like, if you're oh, okay. if you're a veteran, for example, you, you have nothing to. You're probably not going to learn anything right now in OTAs. Like, you can't show me the same playbook, you know, five years in a row and expect me to care. You know, you'll probably glance through the playbook. What you're really as, as a veteran, if you have your process down, you understand what it takes for you to to dramatically improve every offseason because that's the game, right? The game is mm-hmm. in the offseason – can I get bigger, faster, stronger, healthier, get a better version of myself? Because, you know, better human, better athlete, better football player. So I need to maximize that. And am I maximizing that with the Panthers? Like, do they have a good weight program for me? Do they have all the people that I need? Or, or do they have a good technique guy that I need? Or do I need to go find that somebody somewhere else? If I'm a young guy and I don't know what's going on, what they what they take the rookies down, you can put the rookies in um, – in the building, I think for like eight or nine hours a day, four days a week during during the uh, during this this OTA session. So after they have their rookie minicamp, they're there and they're going through. You know, they're meeting with a PR guy and they're meeting. Maybe they have a football school where they're learning how to watch film, and maybe they're you know they meet with their coach for a couple hours and they have to go meet with uh, 
the nutritionist for a couple of, they have all these, they're just getting all this stuff thrown because they're trying to, a lot of the programs are trying to do a better job now of arming these guys with good information so they can kind of make better decisions when they leave the building. But ultimately what all of these guys need to be doing is figuring out what their kind of routines and what their processes are like so that they can hit training camp going 100 miles an hour, feeling great about themselves and their opportunities this season. And however, whatever that is, it's going to be different for each guy. But, you know, generally these guys, when they're younger, they're going to get a lot more – they're a lot more receptive, obviously, for information from the team to come in. So the new strength conditioning coach, you know, if you were at Iowa or you were at one of these big programs and then you go to the NFL, like the strength conditioning – training isn't going to be as dramatic as it used to be in, in college. It's just not. I mean, it's because you got veterans who are trying to conserve their energy. Right. Right. So it should, it, all of that stuff, you have to kind of figure out your own way and you have to figure out what is going to, where am I going to get my advantage? Like my advantage was, well, I'll work harder than anybody on anybody in the weight room, anybody on the field. I might not be as good, but I'll, I can fight and I, and I, and I, I can outlast you. Other guys are going to say, no, I, need, I feel like I need to get better in the film room and I'm going to be so smart that I'm going to know what's going to happen before it's going to happen. And so you figure out what your superpower is during these, these early years of your career. And then the rest of the career, you really tr- you spend trying to exploit that, both physically and mentally. Okay. And I figured with this being a new offense, you know, new head coach, I kind of figured that the, uh, you know, the veterans would definitely be uh, probably a little bit more in tune at OTAs and, Normal because it seems like you know, and it was leaked by Miles Sanders, the uh, new uh, freight running back we picked up. That uh, mm-hmm. this gonna be an RPO heavy uh, mm-hmm. type of offense because last year, uh, Mike, I'll be honest with you, it was kind of hard for me to understand what our offensive philosophy, you know, was. You know, um, she, you know, I mean, obviously once we had uh, Dante Foreman, we seemed to be uh, more of a uh, you know power running team per se. You know, with the game multiple games over 150, 175, but mm-hmm. you know with the uh, with learning, you know how it is with the RPO schemes, because I believe the term that Coach Wright said is he says like three levels to the RPO game. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just definitely think that um, you know full participation would be something we uh, fans hope that all the players get because we definitely don't want those uh, wasted uh, time of you know you know reps both mentally and physically uh, to go to waste because we feel like you know. just remember this though, Kevin. Like for th- I don't know fifty years. We didn't have any of this, and we were all and, – and these these schemes, all of this uh, – like, they keep scheme and, and wording and this and that. But, like, I just – I just went – I've been through multiple playbooks the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The Conceptually, from a running back, offensive line standpoint, the route tree that you run or the concepts that you have, like – 90% of the stuff you run is the same same stuff everybody else is running. It's how you oh, dress okay. it up. All, all, it's how you dress it up. It's 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 the formations you use, the person different maybe per, different personnel grouping. So there are there are changes. But it's like if you're running a weak side zone, your weak your weak side zone and my weak side zone aren't going to be that different. You, you you see what I mean, especially if you have like the same offensive line coach. Now you might have to cause a receiver, they might Frank Wright might bring in his own language system. And if you have to mm-hmm. learn a new language system, you're going to have to spend time learning that new language system. But again, like your footwork as a quarterback isn't going to change because right. you're running the RPO now. Your your um, if you're a veteran, not if you're a young guy, but if you're a veteran, the way you release in your routes, if you're any good, 
isn't going to change because you got a new wide receivers coach. You see what I mean? You're, you already True. figured out what works and how, and how to do things. And you're just going to try to make that mold that into what they're trying to accomplish. So you can execute what they're asking you to execute at the highest level, but you're not real. It's not like, it's not like you bring in a new offense or defense and it's like, well, I don't know anything anymore. I got I have to learn a new, I, I have to learn this new offense. And it literally is, it's not like coming from running the option offense at Navy to running like an NFL offense. You know, you see what I mean? <laughs> right. Like I, like I had to do that and I just trust me, it's not the same. <laughs> that, that is a complete disaster. All right. Well, uh, real quickly, Kyle, I just wanted to ask you, Now, I had I never asked you previously here. Uh, could you give an example, like maybe like what, what maybe like what the typical call is in the huddle? Like what part is it that, 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 uh, that applies to the lineman? Cause we've heard and we've seen written on these chalkboards, these great mm-hmm. elaborate verbiage, like what, what is the part that you guys are doing? And I know once you get to the line, checks are made, you know, from the center and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like what's the verbiage that you guys typically tend to use for, um, I don't know if there's a certain one that you like that you want to call out and like, tell us what your part was or whatever, but h- how do you explain the, verbiage for old linemen on a play call sure so uh, it depends everything's different now so some some people are still using numbers some people are using are using words warlock or or wizard or something like that will mean like Mm -hmm. outside zone run or you could say like we had green right tight 96 power load right or far right far right uh, tight 96 power load that would tell us hey 96 eye backs six hole power guard pulls load we got fullback coming the backside. We got two. We got two tight ends on the front side, down blocking. Like it kind of tells you all those plays. What happens now is a lot more, and especially these these zone schemes, these RPOs, the outside zone schemes. What you're saying, you'll you hear something like um, zebra right close, uh, foxtail with a tag, and the tag will be like it'll foxtail uh, silt. And the silt will mean like tight ends inserting from the B gap and kicking out the end, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like coming down or trying to root them out. They're actually like, they'll do like an orbit or a, a, a return motion and come right. inside out. So what you hear now is you'll look for, you'll hear for that one word for the offensive line. Like, is it a right? Are you running to the right? You're running to the left. Is it, is it Larry or is it Romeo essentially, right? Left or right. And you figure out what that, you figure out what that part of it is. And then all the tags at the back now are usually for like the insert tight end, the fullback, or the you know the the Z coming down, and they have those tags. So you'll you'll kind of be scratching your head sometimes when you look at these new playbooks because there's all these tags at the back of it, and all they really are is this is where we want the the, the Z, the tight end, the F tight end, the Y tight end to insert into the play, whether it's play side or backside. But like, are they coming from inside out, outside in? Are they coming head up? Are they doing a? Are they? Are we working split flow, etc.? Okay, cool. Because uh, you know when they allow allow us to hear some audibles, you know, so uh, you know the plays being called, and I'd be like, wow, mm-hmm. what part is for the lines? I'm glad you definitely glad you um, explained that yeah, here too. And when they do it, when they do an audible, usually if you hear like a one word audible, like they'll that just means oftentimes that they already do like a run check pass, or that just means you're going over. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you hear like a one word, if they're like they're like check check, and they say you know black 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 or green green green, that just means you're going from run to pass, pass to run, or that means they're keeping the play the same because they had a they had a uh, they they had a, a check with it, or they're flipping it to the other side. So usually when you hear one word stuff, it's not like unless they're given a receiver like you know Aaron Rodgers would like like put the zipper on his pants or something like that, or like you know touches touches uh 
inside of his hand. Like that means something very specific to a specific receiver. But otherwise, that at the communication they're having with the offensive line, the running backs, everything is just like, man, we're doing the same thing. We're going over. We're going pass to run or run to pass. All right, that definitely makes sense. <laughs> All right. All right, so we pretty much uncovered the Panthers part here, Mike. I'm going to get ready to wrap this up here and um, I'll let you go here. Uh, you know, I told my baby she can uh, ask you a question here. So here it is with her being a Packers fan. She wants to know. Uh, um, well, actually, I'm going to give you two here. You can uh, answer. Number one, she says, what do you think is the key to Jordan Love's success? Mm-hmm. And then the other question that me and her had discussions about, um, how do you feel about the uh, – who the uh, Packers drafted in the first round. Do you feel like that was the right place to kind of reach? So Jordan Love and then the draft pick, if you uh, you want to touch up on that for us. So Jordan Love's success is going to be predicated on I, – I really like that they drafted those two tight ends because I think that changes yeah. – I think that changes the way LaFleur is going to run his offense over the from what he was doing over the past couple of years to more like a San Francisco style where you have like a Kittle and a use check and guys that you can kind of move around and insert a Debo Samuel. Um, Jaron Reed, you know, is one of those guys as well that you, the third round draft pick out of Michigan State that you can just kind of move around. So I really like that because I think Jordan Love, if they ask him to go run the Aaron Rodgers hybrid offense that they've been running, that's going to limit him. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have that experience or, or that arm strength, talent level, whatever you want to call it. So you need to put a, a more a more user-friendly system in. And in order to do that, you're probably going to have to start running more of that outside zone with a lot of the motion and everything that makes that Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense go and really just eat up the kind of the width of the field. Um, he's got Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, now Tucker Kraft, and Luke Musgrave. He's got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I mean, he's got – we don't know how all those first four guys are going to turn out, particularly the two tight ends, but we can make some assumptions based on what we saw from Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs last year. Uh, Samori Torres is another person in that conversation. Those guys are going to be good, and they're all growing together with Jordan. Like, this is Jordan's first mm-hmm. year, those two tight ends' first year. The, the oldest guy on that group is Aaron Jones, and Aaron Jones is like, I don't know, 27, 28 years old. Right. So – I think they have a really good core. It's just going to take some time to gel. Their offensive line, I'm, I'm disappointed they didn't pick up a guy to compete at one of the guard or tackles at the right tackle spot, but it is how it is. That's how the draft fell. With your second uh, question, Iowa guys are not sure things, but they're pretty close to sure things as far as is he going to be productive in his career given where he's coming from? given the work ethic, the behaviors that they instill in that place with Kirk Ferentz at the, as the, at the head coaching position. They develop offensive and defensive linemen very, very, very well. I think it was a – at the 13th pick, I kind of you know, bifurcate the first round. After – like at pick 15, maybe it's like for next year, next season. Dude, 15 and below, you got to produce this year. Lucas Van Ness is athletic. Um, he is – going to be a guy that can play because he's got decent play strength. He has good hands. He was not the best guy on the board for me at 13. Mm-hmm. Miles, I think Miles Murphy was still on the board. If he you're going to go that, if you're going to go that route, but Broderick Jones was picked next. And he, for me was a no brainer. 
because you could have fit him in at left guard, moved Elton Jenkins to right guard or right. You know, you could. There's things you can do there because that's a premium position, a premium player, premium talent. I don't. I think for me, he wasn't a 13th pick in the draft worthy player this year. He probably would have been next year. He's a he's a redshirt sophomore, so you just talk about like, could he got a little more experience at Iowa? couple more plays learning how to you know learning how to you can jump you can jump set him every play and he'll just run into you right now like for example you know what i mean like you just jump set him he's just going to try to bull rush you at the line of scrimmage he's not he's 275 275 pounds you're not doing that in the nfl so there's just things where you go ah, he's gonna he's got a lot to learn but i think if you're if you're trying to build up you know you're trying to draft premium athletes like goody's trying to draft premium athletes and then they just saying our coaching staff has to develop them and he certainly did that with lucas van ness Mm-hmm. And my final question, and I'll wrap it up here so um, you can continue with your day, Mike. Uh, it's kind of a head scratcher here for um, I me. Mean, they were saying that the, uh, I guess the GM was saying that uh wasn't sure about giving Jordan Love the fifth year option, which I think is about 18 mil, but gave him a one year, ex- okay, but gave him a one year extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was 13 guaranteed, but up to 22. Uh, how, how did you feel about that one year extension? Do you think that was a smart move, or do you think? Uh, how how do you who? feel about that? Smart, smart for who? Well, um, was that smart for the team? Because I feel like Jordan Love missed out on some money. Well, I mean, Jordan Love missed out on some money, but on the you know, it's this is this is kind of the world we live in now, isn't it? Like Jordan, let's just let's 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 reframe the conversation. Okay. Jordan Love has played a total of I don't know thirty snaps or whatever you know, hundred snaps in the National Football League. He has he has one start against the Chiefs last year. He lost. Mm-hmm. They didn't score. They scored like seven points, not very many points. Um, he's stepping into play starting quarterback for arguably the most storied franchise in NFL in the NFL at the greatest, you know, at 1265 Lombardi Avenue for the Green Bay Packers. 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play precedes him. They're giving him $13 million that they don't have. They have he does he has not, as to this point, earned anything. And if I'm Jordan Love and I believe in myself, the Green Bay Packers have proven with Brett Favre, with Aaron Rodgers, that they will pay you to be the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers if, they, if you prove that you're the guy. So I think Jordan Love took a team-friendly deal because Jordan Love's saying, I'm going to bet on myself. Oh, by the way, I'm going to make 13 minimum $13.5 million, which I don't know is, is a, still a, one hell of a lot of money. Yeah, and and when he gets and when he does well, if he does well, he will now vault to thirty-five, forty million dollars on the extension. I mean, whatever the going rate is next year for a, right. a top, you know, ten to twenty quarterback. So, I I think sometimes we forget that Jordan Love gets to play QB one for the Green Bay Packers with very, very little reason for at least anybody on the outside to say he is he he has done enough to show us that we didn't need Aaron Rodgers anymore, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think it's a pretty good deal for both sides, honestly. All right. Yeah, like I said, uh, me and my baby, we definitely had some – talks about that so we're definitely glad that you um <laughs> gave your insight on it uh so appreciate that and um 
you know, definitely appreciate you again taking time with your schedule to uh, give us some insight about the defense line aspect of the three four and the uh, offensive line, um, you know, probabilities, you know, due to injury and what we can do there. So uh, thank you uh, once again, Mike, for, you know, coming back and uh, blessing us with your, with your insight and your, uh, and your intelligence. So it's much, much appreciated. And um, yeah, as always, you're more than welcome to um, uh, come back here. You know, maybe we can have some, you know, get something in during training camp preseason and see, uh, see how things shaping up here. Sounds good to me. Good talking to you as always. All right. All right. So I want to thank everybody that um, joined us here today on the Four Men Rush. Um, here, uh, as always, I uh, want to thank all of our fans. I want to thank how you guys interact with us on social media, particularly on Twitter. It's always a fun place, but also Facebook and Instagram. Again, special thanks to y'all uh, for tuning in and listening with me. Um, and um, Mike Wall here, uh, Process to Perform. Um, definitely, um, if you don't, uh, Mike, let me know where they can find you at on Twitter again. Yeah, Mike Wall 68 on Twitter and TikTok, Process to Perform on Instagram. All right, there it is. All right, so on behalf of everybody here at the Four Man Rush, I'm your main man, Kevin Avery, a.k.a. 4MR underscore Country Kev. Um, everybody take care, be safe, keep pounding, and we'll see you guys next time.